0: everybody and welcome to the perfect love podcast Uh, i'm so excited to have you here and to have our guest here but before that i'll introduce myself i'm austin my pronouns are he him
1: Uh, and i'm sarah i co-host this podcast with austin and my pronouns are she her and we have our lovely guest
2: hey y'all my name is karina and my pronouns are she her as well
0: awesome thanks y'all uh As I said, really excited, Um, love Karina, and Karina is amazing and has a bunch of beautiful insight all the time, Uh, so I'm excited that I can structure that into some CCW things. Um, Yeah, so just to get us started, uh, I guess we should go around and like (laughs) check in, you know, see how we're doing and stuff. I, I almost just dive straight into the content, honestly, because I was just so excited. Yeah. And Sarah knows that. She's like, wait a second, But uh yeah, how's everyone I doing? I mean, I
1: thought we were finally about to skip the part
0: of this that's always the hardest <laughs> that, for me. The hardest that was, part.
2: Let's do it. Yeah. Let's go. The classic, how's your soul question.
0: Oh, man.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> we can get that deep <laughs> if we want.
2: Yeah,
0: um, but so. how is
1: everyone
2: I am doing well um, I it's a beautiful Sunday here in Atlanta I'm in Atlanta Georgia um, and the weather is beautiful I just had a cup of coffee so you know catching my second wind for the day which is nice Sundays are long as I work for a church so Sundays are our main days and grateful for that afternoon nap and then the coffee that follows it
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm doing pretty good. Uh, tired. I've been working a lot. Just picked up the new job, which has been fun and great. Haven't got the paycheck yet, so it's like waiting for that motivation. But mm-hmm. I was also just uh, uh, telling Karina and Sarah, uh, I just redid my living room space, and it is giving it's giving me so much life. Just like having this new space in my living room, and it's so much brighter, and I can like. I don't know, lay on the floor. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with the extra space, yeah. but I just feel like it, it helps. So.
2: Yeah, you can use yeah, it for yoga.
0: Good. Yeah. Oh, that's what like, I need to do. It, that's lay out your do. mat.
1: Meditation. Okay. So it's really funny that you say that because I definitely rearranged my room this week as well. Um, I don't have a living room to rearrange because I live with a lot of people, but I have a <laughs> bedroom that is mine yeah. that I can rearrange. And I rearranged it. And my first thought with the way I rearranged it was, oh, I have the perfect spot to put a yoga mat and look out the window in the morning and Ooh, do yoga now. I love That's that. so great. So I think that's really funny how y'all just like that's came funny. to the same conclusion about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I should have come to that conclusion. I tried doing, yeah. Uh, yeah, shameless plug. If y'all want to do yoga and you're stuck in your house, yoga with Adrian. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, I, I found that and I was like, this is amazing. And she's so like mm-hmm. forgiving of like, you can do whatever mm-hmm. pose you want, it's fine. Uh, I just need to get to doing it more because every time I do it, it's just so great. But Mm -hmm. not gonna skip over Sarah. How are you doing? You know, you you reorganize your room a little bit, but (laughs) how are the depths of your soul?
1: Hold on, no one else (laughs) talked about the depths (laughs) of my soul. We gotta rewind. Um, (laughs) no. Um, I am all right. Um my energy has not been where I wanted it to be today. Um, I feel like I'm already behind on stuff, but, uh, you know, all in all I am doing all right, you know, just doing work, rearranging my room. I finished this hand crochet rug thing I'd been working on for a year last night. Um, I did 85% of it last night because I've just been like, (laughs) It's really it's small. It's like not anything fancy and it kind of doesn't look the best, but it's done now. So like and it was relaxing That's awesome. too. So
0: Is that like a, a happy sad accomplishment?
1: Kind of. It so I'm calling it a candy corn rug because it's three colors and mm-hmm. I didn't realize this till I was on the like end of the second color, but I'd been getting like closer and so oh, it's oh. like kind of triangular in the three of <laughs> like the candy corn, but it's like gray and That's blue great. and yellow. And yeah. Anyway, I've been told it's good for a first crochet attempt by people who actually <laughs> crochet. Um, oh,
0: that's it's nice. just not
1: that great, but it's a rug in front of my bed now. So.
0: I feel like I should try crocheting. Yeah. I, I, was so, a, I was that I was like kid who like played with Legos all the time. So I feel like crocheting is just like that for adults pretty much. Mm. Not that Legos are strictly for children, but, uh, I would definitely buy more Lego sets if I could right now. Um, cool.
1: This was like hand crochet. You get like big yarn and you pull it through with your oh, whoa. like. Oh, whoa.
0: It's not like yeah. with the, the needly things? Yeah, it
1: wasn't with the needles. It was like you like make two loops, pull it through, pull it through. That's wow. cool.
2: Yeah. yeah. The arts or the children's minister at the church I work for, she introduced a finger threading. Have you guys mm. ever done that? And it's with mm. yarn as mm. well. But she'll give the yarn to all of the kids as they come in for those who can be a little fidgety and Sitting down and listening to a story sometimes is difficult. And so mm-hmm. sh- they'll just like do their finger thread and then they keep it at the church. So when they come back, well, it hasn't been touched since March because we haven't met in person since March, but they would traditionally on Sundays come grab their finger, um, their little yarn, and then continue throughout. It's really sweet. But I was like, that's actually a really good idea for just as I'm like sitting in lectures for class mm-hmm. and everything. I'm like, oh, this is a like something to keep your mind um, concentrated. <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I did it while watching a documentary last night, yep. and I was like, this was actually really enjoyable. Like,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for showing the depths of your souls. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, with that, I just want to go into a little story time for Karina, I guess. Uh, yeah. Tell us about your life. Uh, it can be your entire life from like the very, very beginning up till now, <laughs> or... Uh, just like a brief summary of like what's going on with you. Yeah.
2: Um, well, so some facts about me is that I'm a born and raised Floridian. I'm from central Florida. Uh, my family, I'm a first generation American. So my parents are both immigrants from Costa Rica. Um, and they came over at different times. My dad came over in his twenties and my mom came over in her teens, but they met here in the States. And so I was born and raised here, but we would go back and forth a lot as that's a big part of my family's identity is being in Costa Rica with family and things like that. And so Mm -hmm. that was a lot of my upbringing going back and forth. My family's business is also in Costa Rica. So a lot of that back and forth happened. Um, And then uh, let's see. Well, after I graduated high school, I moved to Northeast Florida, which is how I eventually got connected with CCW. Uh, I went to college in St. Augustine, Florida at Flagler um, and then stayed there for a little while. That's where I met uh, my now husband, Troy, who worked for CCW for a long time. Um, and so after that, after we were there for a little while, um, I just felt like I was being pulled um, to further my education and uh something that I never thought I would say. I thought I was done with school when I graduated with my undergrad, but you know, here we are. Um, I ended up applying for seminary and I was like, I only applied to one, which is so classic, just me. I only applied to one undergrad as well. I was like stubborn. I was like, this is it. This is my only choice. <laughs> and so it has to happen. <laughs> and so um, there was the same thing with seminary. And so I applied to Candler, which is in Atlanta, Georgia, Um, And Troy and I had already been feeling a pull to be moved up towards Atlanta. We love, love the city. Um, It just feels like it's a perfect fit for us. And so um, Candler being here just felt like another cherry on top. And so we moved up here May of 2019. And then I just started at seminary. And so I started at Candler in August in the just Strangest way because we are completely on Zoom. Um, Well, not completely. We're actually on a hybrid, and so I have um, an opportunity to go in once a week, which is nice. But it's just interesting. It's not how I wanted to do seminary. I was very adamant that I didn't want to do online school, but you know, it's fine. The world had different plans, and so we roll with it. (laughs) And so this is uh, where I'm at right now. I have been working for uh, in ministry since. I was in college um, and it just always felt like something was there for me as I continued to explore my calling. And so I inevitably found myself becoming, oh, there's a kitty.
0: Yeah, my cat (laughs) is, yes, Camomile's just always wanting my attention. I love it. Yeah, here.
2: We're all cat people on this call, so that makes me happy. Yes. Um, what was I saying? Oh, I found myself inevitably, inevitably um, becoming United Methodist, and so I'm actually um, on track for ordination. Um, and so I'm currently seeking order deacon. Um, and so it's just a wild world, but here I mm-hmm. am, 25, starting seminary. Never thought I would be seeking ordination, but here we are, much less in the Methodist Church. <laughs> and so yeah, um, yeah,
0: here,
2: yeah, it's been a beautiful journey, but yeah
0: yeah so so today we're going to be talking a little bit about uh just intersectionality in the church, and you're just talking mm-hmm. about uh just being surprised that the Methodist Church is the church which you're going through ordination totally. with yeah um w- Could you speak a little bit just on the churches you've been involved in as far as leadership goes um, yeah. and just your experiences there
2: definitely, so I have a very ecumenical background um. I was born and raised Southern Baptist, which is a journey within itself. And then in college, I um, entered the evangelical world, which is pretty much an extension of the Southern Baptist Church, but, you know, here we are. Mm -hmm. And so I entered the non-denominational evangelical world um, and was there for a while. And then I got introduced to the Methodist world and got introduced to mainline churches. And that was not something that was never discussed growing up. I feel like the only mainline church that was discussed to me growing up was Catholic. Um, And being uh, Latina, there was a lot of Catholicism in my family. A lot of of my extended family are Catholics. Um, And so I was semi-familiar with that, but had only really attended one mass, didn't really know much about it. Um, And then I, I was introduced to the Methodist Church, and then... I was working for a um, non-denominational church in college um, and was trying to figure out where I sat theology-wise and what I felt was right morally and how God fit in all that. Um, so then I ended up leaving this non-denominational church. Um, and then I started working for an Episcopal church, literally could not have gone more to the complete yeah. other side. Um, yeah. And in the Episcopal Church, I just fell in love with liturgy and fell in love with tradition and fell in love with this, um, just this, the divine intersect, intersecting with uh, just community and elements and the sacraments um, and knowing that I'm sitting in a pew in northeast Florida, and someone in Washington, D.C. is reciting the same creeds as I am every Sunday morning. That was just like really unifying for me and just a beautiful thought. Um, And then we moved to Atlanta, so I stopped working for the Episcopal Church, and I was really trying to discern where I wanted to be. Um, And because I am married and because I choose to have this partner, we were discussing a lot of where we fit together because we wanted that. And so a big conversation for us was, do we want to be Episcopalian or do we want to be Methodist? And that was a big thing for us for a while. Um, And so we just were exploring that a lot and ultimately just fell in love with the concept of the open table in the Methodist church and just couldn't deny that that felt so at home for us. Um, And knowing that, there was room for me for troy for everyone else our extended family anyone who wanted it there was room at the table um and so that's ultimately where we just ended up falling in um and feeling that call so much so that i feel like i'm i'm feel this call to pursuing ordination with it, which is wild but all of that Mm -hmm. i think influences where i'm at right now and it was a bumpy ride (laughs) it was uh all over the place, it felt like, but I think that it all had a big uh, play as to where I'm at right now.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So that was really beautiful.
2: I just have to like interject and say that was yeah. beautiful to hear and like that journey. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's nice I, to I, sit I, back and think of it like that now because it didn't feel that way for a long time.
0: <laughs> yeah. The The journey is always, yeah. it always feels so messy when you're in it like yes. and then when you're on the other side taking that intentional time to actually look through it and like mm-hmm. see where you've come from there like is so empowering and so cool I know yeah. it's empowering to me to hear that journey and be like wow like yeah. all of that to end up where you are now um, totally yeah and mm-hmm. so that being said in this in this journey to these different denominations um and just different life seasons uh I, I was just wondering what are some of the challenges you've come up against being a woman, being a person of mm-hmm. color, uh, mm-hmm. just in the church, which often, and I'm not even gonna say I'm like guilty of saying this, or not guilty of saying this, but like I don't feel bad saying this is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Churches, religion are often places where this stuff fries bigotry, yeah. any tor- sort of hate or racism. So Absolutely. I'm just wondering if if there have been some walls you've come up against or some racism, just things in these different church places.
2: Totally. I feel like a lot of my journey was me trying to come to terms with I, a woman of color felt this calling to be in the front of the church. And I was reconciling being told my entire life that that was not where I fit and that was not Mm. where I am. Um, And so I was constantly even like if I wasn't actually realizing that I was looking for these things, that is, that is what I was looking for. I was looking for someone that looks like me and was like me up front. Um, and then I got to the point where I was like, well, looks like I'm going to have to do it because I'm not finding anyone. <laughs> and so yeah. what do I need to do to change that? Um, my Baptist upbringing has taught me so much. And a lot of the foundation of my faith is thanks to that but there was a lot of that misogyny that happened the entire my entire um, hometown church is growing up it, it's changed a little bit now but growing up we're all the leadership board were all white men and they were white men of like affluent, affluent um, didn't have that like I was constantly battling being from two cultures and not feeling like I was Latina enough and not feeling like I was white or American enough. And so no one like understood my battle. I didn't even have the words back then to like really express that, you know? And Mm -hmm. so once I moved out of that and went into college, I was like, what does church look like for me? I thought to myself, I was like a standard, like (laughs) a standard, just good child growing up. I just uh, wasn't perfect of course, but like, I just didn't do anything outside of the predictable realms for myself. (laughs) Um, I also have very strict parents, very strict Latino parents. And so that also plays a contributing factor. But um, once I got to college, I was like, okay, what does this look like for me? Should I do the stereotypical? I'm not going to go to church because I just moved to college. I'm going to explore my life. That lasted for about a month. And then I felt like I was feeling this pull and wanting this community. And so I was like, okay, let me figure out what this looks like for me. And so it wasn't until college that I've met a woman preacher. <laughs> it wasn't until college that yeah. I met another female and even then they were still white. And so th- yeah. these women are still huge reasons that I even accepted my calling and started discerning my calling and felt like it was okay for me to do that, but they were still white women. And so, um, mm-hmm. yeah. And so it's just, it's just been an interesting journey. Um, over time I have um, and obviously my, my, not obviously, but my circle has widened to where I know, I know women of color who are head pastors of churches and um, doing incredible things. Um, Just a woman that comes to my mind is Juana Jordan, who is in St. Augustine, Florida, at first um, UMC, and she's just doing remarkable things as Mm -hmm. she is just phenomenal. And so um, it was a big influence for me. And so anyways, yeah. All of that has played a part. It's come, it, it's interesting because I've never experienced, I, I don't have a, like an, a moment where I have experienced like outward racism within the church. Mm. It was always felt like it was kind of just, you know, not it just, it wasn't, I, I have distinct memories in my life of being, having experienced someone who was like outwardly racist towards me, yeah. but never like that in the church. And so that's interesting. And then, um, the sexism part definitely came into play a lot that has a big been a big part of my journey is the sexism um in college the church I worked for um I was actually the children's director for this church and I was on like a volunteer kind of um basis I was actually never paid um and then the head pastor took Troy out to dinner or to lunch one day and essentially told him that they weren't going to hire me until Troy became a part of the church too. And so that was like one of the big crashing moments for me that I was like, oh, I'm not valued without a male counterpart. And that's like a thing for me. And I don't think I dive with it. Like, that's just not how I view God I, my calling from God is mine. It's not my husband's, it's not my pastor's, it's mine. And so that was a big part for me um, in college was like, okay, how does this, what, what do I need to remove myself from this environment that doesn't affirm me for being completely me and doesn't see me for being completely me. What do I need to do about this? I need to remove myself. Um, Which is really hard when your entire community is also engulfed in that. And I think that that's a big thing for folks. especially if you are queer, if you are a person of color, like being in those environments that don't completely affirm you for being entirely you, it's hard to leave when your entire community is also engulfed in that. Um, Mm -hmm. And you're told that this is, this is church and this is reality. And I know that that was a big part of my story growing up was that this was church. This is how it went. Like nothing was perfect. Right. Like, but no, there's some of those big things that I think are, are important. Um, as I've left that, that space and I moved into the Episcopal church, um, I was working for a very, uh, large Episcopal church. Um, it's actually the second largest in the U S uh, very affluent, affluent, sorry. Um, and also very white. (laughs) That was the other thing I was like, there was two people of color on staff and I was one of them. And um, so that was a big part as well. This church affirmed me, saw me, they, I owe so much of my like feeling pulled into my calling and being able to sit and discern that to this church and that clergy that's there. They are the most incredible humans, Um, excuse me, but they were all still very white. Um, And so, that's been a big part of my journey is feeling like I'm always the person of color on staff. Um, so yeah, it's just an interesting thing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think what you touched on, like not having some direct big experience of like racism from the church or like, that's important to like touch on too, because it's like the representation, like, yeah, even yeah. if you're in a really progressive church and there's no, yep. there's no people of color on staff, there's no people of different sex, sexual orientations on yep. staff, like that matters and that yes. speaks louder than you being like, "Yay, like we don't believe in hell." <laughs> like it's, totally. it's like it's totally. way louder. So that yeah, yeah that's, that's that's super interesting. Mm-hmm.
2: There's something about. All, the, the environment that we're in socially right now with so many churches doing incredible things in acts of anti-racism and wanting to um deny white supremacy right that this is something that is not from god um and we're seeing all these like book clubs and things pop up and all these things and the incredible and important things but if you're not looking at the inside. If you're not looking at what does your staff look like? What are the voices that are influencing this? Who was the one who suggested this book? Like all these kinds of different things, all those things matter and they all play a bigger part into the bigger picture of um, reworking this systemic, like racism that's been embedded in absolutely everything. <laughs> so yeah. So, oh, sorry, I didn't need to cut you off. No, no. I was gonna say, well, I think I cut you off, Sarah. So what were you gonna say? <laughs> no um
1: so you touched on this a little bit I guess you're talking about how growing up you didn't have um a woman of color like in the pulpit to look up to but now you are like that woman for people because you're like a youth minister that's part of your thing right like I'm not imagining no and it is so 100% my thing yeah um and so I guess I just wonder what it's like for you to have to be able to be that person for other people, one, but then also you have, I would imagine, this opportunity to shape the education of the next generation, and, like, that's going to have a profound impact on the way the church moves, and so I just wonder what you're doing there, and, like, Mm -hmm. how you
2: think we can work on that. Yeah, Um, so my calling, I feel a Right now, as of right now, the way that I recognize my calling is for youth and so and is to be within youth circles. And so that's been a big part of it, um, that recognizing that responsibility and knowing that these eyes are watching me and also learning from me, but also vice versa, right? I'm I learn a lot from them. And so the last church that I was at, the Episcopal Church that I've mentioned, um, I had a giant roster of kids. This was a very large church. My roster literally ranged from it was like 500 kids, but on average, I was seeing one to maybe 150 of the kids, and they were all white, literally every single one of them. And so that was something that I thought about a lot during my time there: is what what does me being a bridge look like? Um, knowing that I'm building relationship and trust with these kids, uh, they love me and I love them, and they have a female woman of color, like who's leading them in these things and in these questions and these wonderings. Um, I didn't have that growing up. I didn't have anyone like that. And so I just took that as a big responsibility of understanding. Um, there's some, So there's something about the youth being something that's always said is that the youth are the future of the church and that they're like the next generation. I want to push back on that. I think that they're they are the church currently. They're not coming. They're not popping up later. They're already there sitting in the pews, yeah. embodying the building, you know, doing all the things in there. And so what does it look like for us to be preaching not only and teaching, not only our adult congregants, but knowing also that those like little younger ears are listening in the back and not just our like high school and middle school, but also our kids. Like they're, they're a part of this community. And like honestly, there's more kids than adults half the times in churches, right? And so, yeah, it's just that's been a big part of how I view this and how I see it. It's it's been interesting. Yeah.
1: That's really, that's really. I like the way you put that because I do think there's often this this narrative, and I think I used it in the way I phrased my question, even of you know the next generation of the church and like, mm. but. They're there now. And yeah. like the decisions that are being made now are going to affect whether or not they stay, leave, like feel welcome totally. and loved. Totally. Like, and that's happening really early on in the way like brains are forming and connections absolutely. are being made. And like, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely
2: right. I think that's an important thing to think about when we're um, looking at local churches in general. Um what are the things that we have accessible and available for our youth and what resources are there for them? Um, We have, uh, some churches will traditionally have something along the lines of like a youth Sunday and a lot of churches traditionally have this once a year, right, where youth then embody the entire service. Um, And so they're the ushers, they're the one preaching, they're the one leading the liturgy, all the things, right? And it's just always been an interesting thing to me that it happens once a year and it's this big deal, like, oh, this is so sweet. The kids are going to do this thing. But I think it's actually really serious business. Like, these youth are accepting this responsibility and feeling this call, right, feeling this push to want to participate in doing these things. And so what does it look like for us to take them seriously, not just on that one day, but Every single day. So every time they walk into the church, they're holding that responsibility. They're living amongst us and hopefully thriving as well alongside us, right? And so, yeah, that's that's a big part of just how I feel called to the church is wanting to, my thing is, like, I just want to be able to turn the mic on and pass it on. Like, I don't even want to be the one talking half the time. Um, I think Mm -hmm. that representation is important for, and that's why I also feel this call to be up on the front, if you will. But my big thing is, like, I just want to turn it on and pass it on. Like, they're the ones, they have the voice now. They know what they are wanting and thriving and fighting for. Um, So, yeah. Mm -hmm. They make me excited. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. What do you think... What do you think are some ways that churches could come together and combat kind of this issue against not wanting, be it LGBTQ plus people, women, people of color, like in leadership? What do you think is uh, a good way of doing that? Cause I, the, the one example mm. I have in my head right now is like Gracium C, which is majority 60 plus congregation as far as age yeah. goes like it's yeah. old white people most of the time yep. um but they're having these conversations weekly i don't know about right now because of pandemic and all right. uh on race and educating their con yeah. their congregation and stuff but i was just wondering some other ways or similar ways that churches mm. could combat that hmm. the
2: thing that comes to mind is my like favorite quote that like, I think embodies a lot of my ministry in the way that I view my ministries um, is there isn't anyone you can't love once you've known their story. And right. I think that that's how change happens. I don't think that there's necessarily this formulaic recipe that you have, the churches have to do in order to combat racism, right? And like, do change this. Obviously, there are things that churches do need to be doing, having conversations, like looking at your staff as a whole, looking at your leadership, uh, your SPR boards or your eldership or whatever your church has. But I think that it's a lot of the time is just meeting together where they're at, is having those conversations, breaking bread with people and having a conversation. It's so interesting how our perspective changes once we have those um, those pre like um, I just lost my word, my, uh, oh shoot, sorry y'all, lost my word, um, <laughs> like did. your prejudgment of people, like, how you assume people to be, and then you have a conversation yeah. and you're like, oh shoot, that went way different, like, they we're actually way more similar than I thought we right. were going to be, our stories align yeah. in these ways, or whatever, or I learned from them in these ways, um, I think that that's a big part that we're missing out, we're seeing a lot of these white churches holding conversations, but if you're only talking to one another, you're still just having the same conversations over and over again. You're not bringing in other perspectives. Um, So, yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. I I think that's good. uh, Honestly. And I agree like humanizing people is really, truly the only way to understand and to like start putting people in, in power in the places that you work. Cause I, I think, I think of like pre deconstruction, reconstruction, Austin, yeah. And, like, how I just could not reconcile. I could not understand how a woman could be in leadership. I did yeah. not understand it. I'm like, it doesn't make sense. The Bible doesn't say anything about it. I didn't understand how LGBTQ plus people could totally. be in leadership or even, like, be loved by God. And it's mm. like, there's this, like, veil that's, like, over that was over my eyes. And I was just like, couldn't see it. And I was like, ah, and it wasn't until I met people who had stories yeah. in the LGBTQ plus community. I met mm-hmm. those people and started talking mm-hmm. with them and befriending mm-hmm. them. And it was like, oh my God, you're a part of my life. Mm-hmm. And like, and it's not persuasion in the slightest. It's just, yeah. you're human. You are totally. human. And like, that shouldn't, nothing should separate you from the love of God. Yeah. So like, yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's a process for sure. I think mm-hmm. for, for older congregants, especially mm-hmm. who have been living a certain way and had a set mm-hmm. of ideals for a very long mm-hmm. time to break those down and to start processing in a new way is a lot. Totally. It's a lot, but yeah. yeah.
2: I have this distinct memory um, of something very similar, but it was on, actually it was on a CCW trip. Um, and there was a student who is now a pastor um, overseeing a congregation, but I was sitting across from him and is my dear friend and he is a gay man. And he is literally sitting in front of me, talking about his calling, feeling this pull to go to seminary and pastoring a church and reconciling yeah. this with him being gay. And I'm like sitting across from him. And I remember so clearly thinking to myself, well, I was told that this wasn't supposed to happen, but, I know him and I love him. And I see God in him.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: What do I do with that? What, what happens now? What's next? And you have to break through that. And, and I think that that's how this all happens. Like these, these uh, folks that their entire bubbles look and talk and act like them. Um, of course you're scared of the other, of course you're not, you're all, we're all scared of the unknown. We all have these reservations and fears. Um, but I think that's how the world changes, and how we continue moving forward is by having those mm. those conversations and stuff. The yeah. hard stuff, <laughs> having mm. conversations and talking to people. For us, for those who are introverts, are like, oh, oh yeah, <laughs> why? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it comes easier for I'm an extrovert, so I understand. Mm. But
0: <laughs> yeah, um, I think I think we have time for about two more questions. Um and I'll ask one, and Sarah, you can choose the other, the last one, Um, (laughs) because I think there's like two, three more in here. But I I want to know, uh, how people who are privileged, such as myself, Mm -hmm. um, what what can I be doing, and people like me who are privileged do to encourage churches to move in a direction of more, being more inclusive to totally. um, kind of open our eyes to things. I know this might be similar to like what churches can do, but yep. uh, I, I think it's also important to narrow it down to the individual. Cause sometimes yeah. as an individual, we can feel kind of powerless in the situation where we're like, Oh my totally. God. But uh, yeah. I just love totally. to, to know your thoughts on that.
2: Um, what comes to mind for me is thinking about what power you hold um, as you as an individual, whether you are a white male or you are a white female or you fall somewhere in on the, along those lines. Um, what is the power that you hold and what influence do you have? We all have an influence. Like we all influence people in some way or some shape or form. And so maybe it looks like you're the one passing the mic. You're the one asking those questions. Mm-hmm. You're the one raising your hand in staff meeting being like, I'm really glad we're talking about anti-racism strategies. Like, can we not talk about this as like all white people? Can we bring other voices in? How about we Mm. not do the talking? (laughs) How about we ask people um, who are marginalized and who are living those realities um, to share their story and to let us know what we need. Um, And so I think that's a big part of it is, is not just assuming, not assuming that you, um, know what it, know what it is that we need know what it is that um folks in the queer community need but instead asking um yeah i think that's mm-hmm. I, that question could literally be answered a gazillion ways but that's just yeah for time's sake i'll keep it up yeah
0: yeah no, that's good yeah, yeah. humanize humanize and ask and yeah. pass off power if possible
1: yeah um, I, think, I think yeah
0: like we do have, we all have some sort of power. It doesn't absolutely. matter if you don't have to be in leadership somewhere. Like no, you could yeah. literally just be working at a convenience store and that totally. you can make all the difference there. Like, absolutely. Yeah.
2: yeah. And I think, um, shoot, sorry. I lost my total. It's good. <laughs> what is up with me? I good. only had one coffee. I think I'm going to need another. Sorry. y'all.
0: <laughs> <Lost> it. <laughs> it's all good. If it comes back to you, you can just shout it yes, out. But uh, um, Sarah, do you have you decided the the final question?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. I have. I think I'm stealing one of the questions you put on the list, quite honestly, awesome. Austin, but it's okay because our
0: share of, of questions so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> um What, Karina, what advice or like words of affirmation do you have for people who exist at the intersection of identities, who are women of color, who are queer women of color, who, et cetera, et cetera, all these different intersections, what would you say to them? I guess kind of imagining what you would say to your younger self as you were learning to live into your full self and like dealing with things in the world and accept your call to ministry. Absolutely. All those things.
2: It's a good question. There's so many things I want to say. A question, um, I have a professor, uh, Dr. Greg Ellison, who is a, a phenomenal human being, but he um, is my pastoral care um, professor. And yeah, he's, he's great. He's got a few books if you're looking for something along those lines. But something he asked us the other day was, um, what would you tell your inner child? What would you... Um, oh want your inner child to know, right? There's just a you know, casual question that he likes to ask at <laughs> 6 p.m. on a Monday night when we have class. Amazing. Um, and so I've been thinking about this question a lot because he presented to me recently. And the things that come to me is if you are someone who identifies yourself as a woman of color, as a queer person, as someone in those intersections, just know that you are so beloved. And that word embodies so much, and I hope that you allow yourself to hear that and to receive it, knowing that those aren't just my words, but God's words, that you are beloved, that you are loved, um, that you exist for a time such as this, that you are, um, you have a story that is waiting to be unraveled and people need to hear that story. Um, I wish someone would have told 15-year-old Karina that she mattered, that her story was important. Um, mm-hmm. To hang on um, in those moments that I feel felt so alone and felt so depressed and just alone is the word that comes to that. I I wish that I had someone who had told me that just keep going that there yeah. is this light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so I hope that if you heard anything about the, this entire conversation, is that those things exist and that you are important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's something I, th- I like to think to myself and like to tell myself, but it's probably one of my most, um, it's the hardest things for me to accept for myself, those words, um, which is why I repeat them all the time. That's why mm-hmm. I tell my youth those things all the time because it's, yeah. such, it's an upward battle to even to receive and to hear those words. Um, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Uh, also, the
2: same goes for you too. I love y'all a whole lot. <laughs> I'm grateful for <Thanks>. you guys. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you. <laughs> yeah, love you too. Honestly, like yeah. in all of this, all this stuff that you've just offered is so great, so inspirational. And yeah, I, I love learning new things whenever I do one of these. Like in this is definitely one. Um and they're scary conversations because yeah. I do I know. Does Austin Davis know everything about intersectionality in the church? Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Not in the slightest. Yeah. But like, thank you for informing oh. me, um, and hopefully informing those who are listening to this or watching this, if that's on live or a podcast version. But yeah, it's been really great having you. So
1: I appreciate yeah. y'all so much. Love I'm for sure you. I could for give
0: you a here. hug. Thank you.
2: So much. Yeah. Is it like?
0: Is it rainy and vibey up in Atlanta right now? Because it's definitely rainy and vibey here.
2: No. We have uh, clear skies and it's sunny.
0: It's beautiful. Yeah. It's, wow. And it's
2: like 68 degrees. It's honestly my dream day.
0: Mm. It's, yes. it's, it's like seventy something low 70s today, which is incredible. Nice. Needed it.
2: Florida, uh, you're getting there.
0: <laughs> soon. Yeah. Well, thank you, uh, everyone. Thank you, Sarah, for being an incredible host um and thank you karina for being an incredible guest um and everyone else who's tuned in uh if you're interested in this type of stuff we have it happening reoccurringly so it just keeps happening uh october 20th at seven o'clock will be the next time we drop a live episode and then a week after that is when the podcast version comes out if you're strictly someone who just listens to this uh if so thank you um but yeah I hope y'all have a good rest of your day. I'm going to go head off to work soon. So bye, y'all. Bye.